Wait a second. This isn't your grandma's cancer show. Not your grandma's cancer show. Hi, I'm Tatum Drock, and today we're talking about breast cancer. As it's the most common cancer in the UK and talked about so much, it's often seen as being understood. But the experience of it is as unique as we are. So today, I have some great guests with me that are going to share their individual stories of the, and I'm majorly air quoting here, the quote unquote good cancer. Uh, Kate was 42 when she was diagnosed in lockdown and didn't meet anyone else in the same position as her and didn't know that what she was feeling was the effects of PTSD. Hannah was 39 when she was diagnosed with a rare brain tumour and then just two years later was diagnosed with breast cancer, which was entirely unrelated. And Draw was 35 when he was diagnosed and he's going to be sharing what it's like to look for support as a man. So I've got Kate right here beside me in the studio. Um, Kate, tell me, what was going on in your life when you were diagnosed? It was... In the middle of lockdown, it was October 2020, so it was, you know, everyone was having a hard time. <laughs> I found the lump about two months prior going to the doctors, uh, which I'm not proud of. I kind of delayed in living in denial for a bit. When I eventually went, it, it just kind of confirmed my suspicions. Like a few days prior to my diagnosis, I'd been promoted at work. So life was full. Life was very full. <laughs> and lockdown. Yes. So in the, that combination, it's totally understandable. It would take a minute. And none of us think in our 30s that a lump is going to be cancer, really, um, when it can be so many other things as well. When you found out what it was... Was everybody wearing masks? How was that for you? Oh, yeah, I wasn't allowed to bring anyone to hospital. It was the mask situation. We were able to go out. We had a couple of months, didn't we, in, in 2020 where we were allowed to do stuff <laughs> on the outside. But at the hospital, it was very strict. I, yeah, there was. I was not allowed to bring anyone with me to consultations. And I would have liked to brought friends or I don't have a partner I don't have kids so yeah it was just it added like an extra layer I mean cancer is shit enough as it is isn't yeah. it to be going through it on on that level as well not being able to just see anyone and yeah it was just really it was really hard if you were going to devise sort of a horror movie by yourself yeah being diagnosed yeah being sick and not being able to see the full faces of the people to help you would be kind of the setting for that. And yet that was when you were diagnosed and when you were going through it all. You've described to me that you felt a bit like a machine going through treatment and then getting back to work. Can you talk a little bit about a specific moment that you felt like you were on autopilot? It was it was a good part of the year, if not 
like all of it because I basically I had surgery in November 2020 and then I went into like straight into like chemo prep and it was like full on and I started chemo in January and had radiotherapy and a year of immunotherapy so I finished that last year in January so I felt like you just have so many appointments it's like a full-time job yeah like I had not expected to be making so many appointments and traveling to hospital several times a week it was really exhausting <laughs> and it's it's a lot of information to take in like you get so much information and you try to write everything down it keeps coming at you yeah. I don't feel like we get a time to kind of just sit down and sit in our feelings and not that I don't know what to expect but do you know what I mean it's just you just have to keep going because what are you going to do? You can't not do stuff. (laughs) There's a rhythm to the treatment and it's like being on a treadmill going from one to the next. It's like a hamster wheel. (laughs) Yeah. So you were back at work and then you found this podcast. Yes, I did. (laughs) So tell me. I had a breakdown. (laughs) Tell me everything. Uh, So I went back to work during treatment while I was still on immunotherapy, which think about nine, nine and a half months after my diagnosis, I was doing, you know, reduced hours and I was still just plodding along, working from home like we all did. And I think it was around March, I want to say, that I just kind of stumbled across Shine because I was, I didn't participate in any sort of like support groups or Facebook groups and, and anything when I was going through it I just kind of went into it like down a rabbit hole when I initially you know looked into all those groups because I wanted to know everything and prep as much as possible yeah so I just kind of like got overwhelmed with all the you know the comments and I was like this just looks so dire I can't be a part of that so I didn't do any sort of reaching out to anyone during my treatment so when I finished uh, and I had to get back to full-time work there was just a lot of still a lot of appointments really and I think I replaced a lot of appointments with other appointments in a bid to kind of get better quicker Mm. (laughs) like there's no quick fix to this I stumbled across Shine so I started uh, listening to the podcast I clearly remember the episode where I just started crying because like throughout my treatment and in general I've, I've just always been good at just putting a lid on it getting on with shit just doing my thing, living in denial at the best of times. <laughs> but that really triggered me. It was about the PTSD. It just really resonated with me. I had no idea what I was feeling. It was just, I could relate. And I didn't know anyone with a cancer diagnosis, not really. Before I got diagnosed, I didn't really, I didn't meet anyone else during my treatment. There was just so much self-doubt. From listening to the podcast, yes. what was in it that made you feel that you weren't alone with how you were feeling? It was just the fact that my feelings were validated because throughout my treatment, I was constantly being told I looked great because for me, I used a cold cap. It worked really well. 
I I didn't lose a lot of hair and what I lost was like you couldn't see anything on Zoom and I was already heavy at the time I lost weight but I didn't look skinny or anything so I just kept hearing throughout treatment oh you look great even from my doctors so I started feeling well maybe I should be feeling great mm. maybe, like I started invalidating my own feelings so when I heard that episode I was like oh my god actually all these things that I've been feeling has been for a reason it's not just me making it up in my head I'm not a hypochondriac yeah that really meant a lot and I literally just started crying and <laughs> so just to clarify because you know often we think of triggered as being a negative thing but oh, it this sounds was like good. this was good this was almost cathartic yes. the identifying yeah and I I so relate to the hypochondria thing. <laughs> That's why you got a very deep yes from me there. Like you're not a hypochondriac. Um, but it's so easy to sort of feel that way, especially yeah. when a lot of people have maybe a friend of theirs or someone else that's yeah. gone through it that's kind of thinks of it as a bit of a breeze. Yeah. Like they know it's tough, but also like, mm, you yeah. know, you're going to be in fine oh. in six months. Like you'll be fine. Yeah. You know, you'll get to the end of the treatment. It's all good, right? That's that expectation that once you've been through chemo, you're like, you're done it. You're, yeah. you're going to be back to normal. You're through the worst. And I was still looking at radiotherapy and immunotherapy and 10 years of hormone therapy. None of them are like particularly fun. So. And one of the other things that I feel like you've described is overwhelm. Yeah, possibly. And bodies see that as being danger. And so there can be fight, flight, but also freeze. And the other one is sometimes known as submit, sometimes known as fawn or flatter. In there, I think there can be dissociation. And when you had said to me about feeling like a machine, I really related to that because when there's pain, what else are you going to do but kind of want to step a, a bit outside of yourself? And when there's uncertainty, that's our bodies and our brains really keeping us as safe yeah. as they know how to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I think for me, my brain has been doing that for like 40 plus years because I've had a lot of past trauma that I never dealt with so when cancer came along it just kind of opened up this kind of Pandora's box yeah through Shine I did the breakout program I started therapy as well I've I've just really worked on all these things that's I probably wouldn't have worked on to be honest if it hadn't been for this I mean if there's a silver lining <laughs> I feel mentally and emotionally better than I did before the body's a different thing. But yeah, it's uh it's it's a topic <laughs> it's been a journey. <laughs> I really want to do in another episode actually. When our trauma responses or our coping mechanisms uh change as a result of getting cancer. So, yeah. you know, if we had to deal with like family stuff before, we might have had a certain coping mechanism um and work and all of that, but then you know, getting cancer can sometimes really shake that up and then nothing starts working. And I think your experience of 
of not just dealing with the cancer, but everything else that went before is actually really common and doesn't get talked about enough. So thank yeah. you so much for sharing that. Because oh. I know there's going to be someone out there that was like you. Yeah. <laughs> that's going, oh my God, suddenly I'm dealing with stuff from when I was five years old. Yeah. Why is this happening to me? Yeah, we went way back. <laughs> yeah. And, and knowing that, you know, you're not alone with that. It isn't, it isn't even just that time period or after, but really it can be everything from before. Do you think that some of the upbeat pinkness of breast cancer encourages a sort of toxic positivity? Yeah, I think it's easy to get swept up in the kind of pretty and pink with the bow on it. And I, it's tricky because, you know, people, when they say, you know, you look well, you're so brave, you know, they, they often mean well or don't know what else to say. But it just has that kind of opposite effect. At least on me, it does. Uh, I actually quite hate <laughs> tell me, tell me how that, it. How you feel? Again, I feel like my feelings are invalidated what I've been through wasn't that bad like I'm still standing you know I get on with life but that's just what we do isn't it like what what else can we do um so yeah I just I think that kind of toxic positivity is is still out there whereas I would just prefer people asking maybe like is there anything else like, is there anything I can do for you? Do you do you want a hug? Stuff like that. And also, like, yeah, it depends who it's coming from. Um, but it definitely didn't help me when I was kept, kept hearing it from, like, even my medical staff because I really felt like all these things that I was feeling or experiencing were all in my head. Yeah. it's. I think that's the thing that people don't necessarily realize is when someone tells you you're so brave you're so strong it's almost like a conversation blocker because then how do you say I, I feel, feel like really shit. weak yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and shit yeah. and I'm scared out of my bloody mind you know you could sort of feel like oh do, do I have to live up to this yeah yeah and so it just kind of stalls communication yeah yeah. So I really want to bring Draw in to this. Draw, how has it felt hearing from Kate? It's interesting. I think some things are definitely similar because I had to go through a diagnosis during um, lockdowns and COVID as well. I had my primary diagnosis in the summer of 2018 um, after only moving to the UK roughly eight months before that which was a bit of a roller coaster as well. But then I thought everything was behind me. And in between looking for a new job, um, lockdown happening, I was also diagnosed with secondary breast cancer um, in the summer of 2020, or the beginning of the summer of 2020. Um, so I can definitely relate to a lot of what um, you said there, yeah. And how were your medical team? What was your experience in the hospital of getting your they're, diagnosis? They're really, really, really great. I mean, I can only say good things about them. And my oncologist is just such a great person. It's a little embarrassing if he ever <laughs> hears this uh, podcast, but I don't mind saying that because he really deserves all the praise I can give um, because he's just such a 
empathetic, patient, kind person. And I think that makes such a great um, difference in terms of how you need to communicate with your team, with your doctors. Um, it makes a big difference, yeah. I love that you had such a good oncologist. And I still and, do. He's, he's still my, my oncologist. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> and you've kept hold of him, not letting him yes. go anywhere. Yes. Um, yes. How, how was it getting support outside of the hospital? It was tricky because I, first of all, lockdowns, you don't see anyone. Um, on top of that, I am not from the UK. Most of my support network is not in the UK physically. I couldn't see my parents for two years after my diagnosis because we were um, under separate lockdowns. So I couldn't fly when they could fly. They couldn't fly when I could fly. I couldn't see them. Um, most of my friends don't live in the UK. Um, so it was um, my husband and I alone at home. I joked that the only person that I saw more than my husband was my oncologist, but it was true. Uh, <laughs> time yeah and but video calls uh, on a regular basis made a big difference and how was it being diagnosed with a cancer that's so closely associated with women and the female experience and a whole lot of pink i personally didn't mind it i can certainly understand if some people find it a little ill alienating for them as in if male patients find that alienating but personally i didn't mind it the only thing that i found um let's say um troubling maybe in that kind of situation is that not all of the resources are tailored enough for men who do go through or live through um breast cancer uh, i won't name and shame a charity but I was uh, excluded from joining uh, a group, a support group for um, young people with secondary breast cancer because I'm male and they only wanted um, people who identify as female uh, in the group, which is pretty ridiculous. Um, and as a solution, I was offered to either read their resources online which is obviously very unhelpful if what I'm looking for is to join a group uh, or join a male group that's also for people with primary breast cancer. And my um, need was to talk to peers going through secondary. If it's curable, we're not going really through the same thing as people that have to live with incurable cancer. So that was very um, shocking even yeah. that that deal with breast cancer would offer that as their first line of support to someone that reaches out and makes contact with them, yeah. Yeah, and it was a breast cancer-specific charity. Yes, yes, and now we can play the game and uh, name them without naming them. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how did you come to find Shine? So I um, joined a few sessions of another support group and um, at Maggie's and I um, came across um, a little book, a leaflet by Shine. And also I did some therapy as well. And my psychologist suggested Shine as well. 
And um, then I joined the Shine Circles program and I found it extremely helpful. It was just so um, good to connect with people going through the same experience. I mean, relatively, obviously every cancer and every incurable cancer is specific to the person living through it with it. Um, but there's just something I think reassuring, helpful to be able to talk to people roughly, um, at the same stage in life, going through maybe similar things and being able to share your thoughts, feelings, fears. Um, and, and I found it very, very helpful and we're still in touch. Um, everyone from the group. Oh, fabulous. Fabulous. So that's where I met Draw actually was on yes. was on that group. And it, so you have the experience of a really rare so it, it I don't know exactly the percentage you might know of how many men get breast cancer. Roughly 1%. 1%. Really rare of a very common cancer. Yes, yes. And and my situation, you can say, is even rarer because of my age as well. Yes. Being diagnosed at 35 um, for someone that was born with um, male um, gender is quite rare. And so how have you found getting support? So for you, it isn't necessarily about finding another man with the same type of cancer at the same age, because I imagine that that is pretty hard to find. So in terms of support, what has been the most useful to you? What suited you the best? I think that's something that maybe also changes with time. Um, At the start, I didn't look for any kind of support to do with groups. I was okay with my husband's, my husband, my friends, my family. Um, and only after over two years, I started looking into things like groups, um, therapy, uh, which I found very helpful as well. A little bit like Kate, there's almost uh, sometimes a bit of um, time that it takes to yes. to get to the point. Um, and then, you know, I know that you were saying that you had such a great time with with uh, circles and meeting other people also with incurable cancer. Um, and when you reflect on how you felt afterwards, what was that kind of connection like? It's just, it's very reassuring, first of all, to be able to talk to people in a similar situation. Um, and you find that some of your uh, fears are mutual. Um, you have a lot to talk about um, in terms of what you're going through. Um, they know what it's like to be on treatments forever. Um, there's a lot of common ground. And a lot of laughter in there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's also okay to talk about the scarier shootier things too that's normal and that's fine too yeah yeah but it's not just that because maybe that's one of the things that i think is important to emphasize because if someone wants to join the group and maybe is a little hesitant then it's not just the scary shitty things there's also the laughter yeah 
I can see Hannah nodding here, so I'd <laughs> love to bring you into the conversation, Hannah. Uh, what was it in what Joel was saying that had you uh, had you relating? It was what he was saying about the shine circles and the and the laughter. Um, I was sort of thinking about my experience in my shine circle, and yeah, I, one example I could think of was. Um, we, we were talking about kind of stupid things that people say when they know you've got cancer. Um, and we kind of drew up a sort of kind of bullshit bingo um, <laughs> with things like, you know, and as Kate said, you know, but you look so well or you're too young or, you know, yeah. and this is a real problem for me when people say, well, any of us could be, give you hit by a bus tomorrow. And it's like, well, but I know my bus is coming, you know. <laughs> um, and yeah, but there's a lot of laughter as well. So it's it, it was a great place to um, hang out and talk to people who, who just got it. Tell us about you and what was happening in your life when you were first diagnosed. I was first diagnosed with a brain tumour in 2020. Uh, we'd just gone into lockdown um, and I got a phone call at work actually um i was just doing i'm a gp um and i was just doing afternoon surgery and i had a phone call from a consultant i thought he was talking about a patient to be to be honest to start with and then i realized he was talking about me and um he said oh you know you had that scan well actually you know the news isn't isn't good and um so yeah that was a, a huge shock and I, I kind of responded in shock as well to start with because I you know I, I kind of listened to what he said and then I was like you know um okay yeah thank thanks for your time uh, I better go I better go crack on with my surgery now <laughs> and I was just like what am I what am I doing here um but then yeah so I I, I had that at the beginning of lockdown finally after many cancellations had it uh, had a an awake craniotomy to have a resection of that um, in May 2021. Um, and then went back to work in the July. And then in the October, um, I noticed some sort of tethering where the skin kind of looks like it's being pulled from behind mm -hmm. in my breast. And um, and I was aware, being a GP myself, that you know, it can be a sign of uh, breast cancer. Although I was kind of like, well, you know, what are the chances of having two cancers within, a, you know, 18 months of each other? You know, it's not going to be cancer. Um, but I, I, I contacted my GP and then, yeah, two days before I turned 40, um, I nipped out of my home clinic to get my results and um, was told I had a, yeah, a second cancer in my breast. So, um, yeah, once again, I had to you know, sit my three children down and, and tell them, you know, mummy's not well again. And, um, and, you know, my husband, uh, I fortunately, um, is incredibly supportive and, um, we had to kind of dig deep and, and face it all again. So you're, we were talking about that treadmill rat race, hamster wheel at the beginning, like yours had barely even come to the end before you were on that all over again with a different kind of cancer that was unrelated yeah so i mean with the, the brain tumor it, it, it's going to come back um so i have scans every four to six months um to check on what the you know what the state of my brain is 
Um, so kind of, I'm never going to be free of that one. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I was just thrown back in it again. Um, and yeah, it's like being thrown under a bus, (laughs) you know, you, you, um, yeah, it's getting through those phases of kind of, you know, sheer sort of panic and then denial and, um, you know, and I'm not sure you ever reach acceptance at the end of it, but, um, yeah, that's kind of, uh, where we are. And you had the experience of a very rare type of brain tumor and Mm. then a much more common type of cancer. Mm. Was there differences that you noticed in terms of kind of medically how you were treated or what your treatment was like? Partly some of the differences were because it was in the middle of, you know, as well, it was right at the beginning of the pandemic when I was diagnosed with a brain tumour. So, you know, it was incredibly isolating and consultations were, you know, a lot of the time over the phone. Um, I didn't know anybody else with my type of brain tumour. And to this day, I've only ever met one other person with my, you know, specifically my kind of brain tumour. Um, whereas when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, you, you start seeing it everywhere. It feels like everybody's got breast cancer, you know, um, because, you know, all all over Instagram, you know, once you kind of go down that sort of cancer route on sort of social media or whatever, you're like, wow, you know, how, there's a hell of a lot of kind of support out there for, yeah, unfortunately, you know, a lot of the time for, for women with breast cancer. And I, I'm really sorry to hear that, you know, the support wasn't there for you, Draw. The amount of money being kind of pumped into breast cancer research is absolutely phenomenal compared to brain tumors. Even though you know, brain tumors are, you know, the biggest uh, cancer killer of people under the age of forty, so children and adults under the age of forty, it's brain tumors. Um, but they got like less than one percent of the total kind of research funding. Um, so there's a huge disparity and, you know, trials that, um, I was on the waiting list for were disbanded because they didn't have enough people and, and so on. So, um, yeah, there's a real, uh, inequality there. Yeah. I mean, that would be something that's unheard of with breast cancer, like for a trial not to go ahead because they couldn't get people. There's so many do you think that that had a, an effect socially um, between how people maybe responded to you or how friends showed up to support you? Yeah, I think um, they would. They are two very different types of cancer. You know, actually, I would say that um, that friends um, have responded probably in similar ways. Actually, from to me having both of them. Um, and it's difficult, you know, when you know, but know somebody with cancer, you know, knowing what to say, um, can be really hard, you know, even though I've had two types of cancer, I don't necessarily know what to say to somebody who's got cancer because everybody's experience of cancer is so incredibly different, even if they've had exactly the same kind of cancer. What I would say is, uh, you know, don't don't say nothing. Say, you know, say say something. Even if you're saying, I don't know what to say, you know, but 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 just be there um, and and 
you know, and continue to be there. As the others have said, you know, often when you get through the active treatment, so you've had your chemotherapy, you've had your radiotherapy, people think, oh, well, that's it, you know, you're back at work, you know, you, you must be fine. And and I think people are maybe nervous to talk about it because they think, oh, well, you, you won't want to talk about it anymore uh, or anything. And and it's kind of like, well, no, you know, it's, it's still very much my everyday, it affects you forever um and you know on a on a very real level you know i've still got the hormone treatment um which you know in my well at the age of 40 being put into a, a kind of overnight menopause by medication is um not much fun um and yeah so it it's just you know be there for people because um yeah, listening ear is always very much appreciated from um, facilitating quite a lot of the circles programs, the breakout programs that Shine runs, which are six week long courses with a group of people with similar experiences, not the same, but you know, one thing that is so prevalent is friends stepping away and mm. withdrawing uh, for whatever reason, but people being quite hurt and shocked by by that, um, by that stepping away. And I wanted to ask, um, draw about your hormonal suppression because you have experienced lots of what we consider sort of similar to menopausal symptoms. Uh, exactly, up until very, very recently, um, I've only now started my fourth line of um, treatment, but the first three ones have had an endocrine backbone to them. So um, that's uh, hormonal therapy. And I've had um, all the joys of all the menopausal symptoms with um, these types of uh, medicines. Um, hot flushes, uh, brain fog, um, joint pain, um, anything and everything. But I think at least for me, it's something that either um, subsided with time or that I learned to deal with uh, better over time. I always wondered that with myself as well. Is it something that we do get used to to some degree, um, the constant hormonal disturbance, um, or does it you know, actually lessen? Um, I've, I've definitely wondered that myself. Draw. Yeah, like, yeah. I now like, have breathing techniques for, for when I'm having a particularly vicious hot flush with a panic attached to it. Hannah, yeah, yeah. what's your experience with that? Like many things that we mentioned before, I think, first of all, it's a very personal experience and that varies to a great extent between people. But some things have definitely subsided for me, um, like hot flush is an example, but some things I just learned to manage better. One thing that is really minuscule in the grand scheme of things, but I found personally really annoying, is that my um, short-term ward recall kind of got a little screwed up. Um, and I would find myself struggling with um, finding words uh, or uh, mispronouncing words uh, and making myself a bit, that made me feel a bit like an idiot. And I, and I, I did realize and I do realize that 99.9% .9 of the time that's just something that's within my own head and is not very noticeable um, to someone that speaks to me uh, that I talk with. But um, that's something that I managed to just deal with better now and I can work around it. 
for me, I had a similar thing with with word recall and I have a similar thing with names. So happy two of you are on Zoom with your names. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because even people I've known for 20 years, I can look at and go, I've Mm, what is it? Um, and it's that it's that word recall, and no one like tells you that's necessarily to do with hormones um, yeah. and naming words, and kind of linking these these two things about kind of the longevity of the effects of hormones. Friends sometimes withdrawing when they think, okay, you're done with chemo, is that there can be this really long period of time when you're not in necessarily um, hair loss. You could be on long-term treatment or on hormonal treatment, but you still really need that support. Um, And I'd love to bring you into the conversation here, Kate. you said you have 10 more years of hormonal treatment. So I, I've been on tamoxifen for two years. So ideally, according to my oncologist, <laughs> I'm, I have another eight years to go. And as, as you talked about, it, it, it does kind of affect your, like your cognitive. I'm still struggling. And I, now I just don't know if it's from the chemo or is it the pills or is it just like my age in general because now I'm 45 and you know closer to to natural menopause but it's just yeah I have no idea what my side effects or my you know my hip pain or whatever it is is it because of the treatment or is it like would have gotten that anyway sort of thing but yeah the word recall is like bad and reading emails at work I just I really struggle with the cognitive aspect of it to be honest yeah and, and Hannah, do you relate to that? Oh, completely. Yeah. And it, it's really difficult when you're sat in a room with a patient and you can't think of the set, a certain word for something. And it might be something really straightforward. And you're like, um, and you're trying to find ways around it to make it less obvious that you've totally forgotten yeah. what you're, you're trying to get to. And it's so nice to be in a space where you can like laugh with other people that are like, yes, <laughs> they get that. Because, you know, when I've tried to tell people that didn't have cancer, they're like, oh, I sometimes forget things. And you're like, did you forget your own name? Well, no. Yeah, it's not the same. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, or did you forget like the word arm? you know or, or those my husband of... always my husband always laughs about it and says oh you know he says to our, our boys he's like oh mommy's had part of her brain removed she doesn't know you know <laughs> and what do the boys oh, okay. say <laughs> oh they they yeah they they tease me about it and um no they they've they've coped with it admirably um but uh i guess we you know we haven't had any other choice but they yeah they they've been absolutely fantastic i think you know children are um incredibly resilient um you know and uh i mean my littlest was only uh well he was sort of two going on three when i was diagnosed with a brain tumor and um for a period of time when i was waiting for my surgery i lost my speech and um i just remember him saying to me mommy your sound button stopped working <laughs> um, because I couldn't I couldn't talk to him I couldn't read him a bedtime story I couldn't you know 
tell them off for being naughty, <laughs> you know, and that, that was really hard, you know, trying to parent three kids without, without your voice when your husband's at work is, um, yeah. yeah. Without your sound button. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. In a way, that's such a perfectly put description yeah. of, and then I'm sort of imagining him as it got fixed and it came back. Yeah. But so, yeah, he's only ever, you know, his living, his lived sort of experiences only, you know, from what he can first remember is me having been unwell with either breast cancer or a brain tumour. So, you know, I guess for him, that's kind of his normal. He, you know, jokes with his friends about my uh, fake boob and uh, <laughs> and so on. So, yeah, we, we, we deal with it in quite a, a, a comedic way at home, I guess, um, because... Yeah, that's just us. <laughs> and, you know, at Shine, if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, maybe they're in the same position that you were in, Kate, they've had to listen and gone, oh my God, that's me. Um, that's what I'm feeling. Um, you know, and maybe even years afterwards, you know, because it takes time sometimes for the impact or someone's kid is having a very similar sound button description one of the really good ways to get involved with shine is we've got a conference coming up um, on the 14th of october and one of the reasons it's so good is because you can dip in and out of sessions so there's an in person in real life we'll be able to touch people with consent um, <laughs> um, uh, if they want to uh, there might be hugs um on the 14th of October in London near Farringdon uh, Station. So if you're around, um, but I know all of you have had to look at the agenda and I'd love to hear what session looked interesting to you. And maybe I can come to you, Draw, and then Hannah and then Kate. Well, I think personally, um, just interacting with people could be the most important thing or something that would be value, I think, to people attending or streaming online, hearing other people's stories, uh, trying to relate to them, um, finding things that are similar with what you're going through at the moment or did in the past. Um, I think that's there's a lot of value in that. Absolutely. And we have these spotlight sessions where someone has more time to share their stories. Um, and so, yeah, definitely take a good look at those and if you're thinking about coming along um, know that you can dip in you can have a look see which sessions you like you don't have to attend at all um, Hannah what's what's the one that looks interesting to you oh for me it's definitely the therapy dogs um, <laughs> <laughs> as a, as a mum of two golden retrievers um, yeah the the amount of uh, just calm that can be brought to you from a dog is uh, is incredible, you know. Uh, and I mean that in all seriousness, you know. But other than that, um, I guess um, managing uncertainty. Was there? There was one about managing uncertainty um, because you know when you've got a, a, a cancer where you you know that it's going to be life limiting, and but you don't know how long that's going to be um is is really really tough and to so to you know get some you know other people's ideas on ways to kind of deal with that and handle that um would be really helpful it's a nice blend that if you're going to be talking about uncertainty and some of those bigger things that then you also get to have some 
puppy cuddles uh, with some <laughs> therapy dogs. Yeah, so we've been trying to do a combo, um, you know, between... And I'll be running a session there, finding calm um, and chill, chillness um, in there too. And Kate, what's what's yours? I mean, it, what the guys said, everything just sounds great. I mean, it's just from, from dogs to meeting in person to to the sessions. I think the keynote about, was it biology and, and cancer sounds really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think last year we had one with about gut health, which I'm all, you know, very invested in. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm really interested to, to hear that one specifically, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a great session. And it's, um, and, and really the whole thing is reasons to feel uplifted reasons to feel um, hope so it's yeah it's going to be really lovely I'm looking forward to seeing all of you there if those sessions all sound good to you head over to Shine's website which is shinecancersupport.org and register for your place and thank you as always to my fabulous guests thank you for being here and sharing your experiences and to the brilliant radio facilities for sponsoring our podcast and to all of you listening till next time bye Bye. Bye. not your grandma's cancer show